0: This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack podcast. How often do you think Australian musicians are thinking about just quitting altogether? And why are younger artists less likely to want to be in a band these days? They want to go solo. We're going to be answering some of these questions later because Triple J's done a bit of a temperature check of the Australian music scene and the results are really interesting. If you're a musician, you're going to want to keep listening for that. Also coming up, we're doing a big exploration of whistleblowers. You're going to find out why you could end up in jail for trying to expose corruption in Australia. It's a frightening reality. First, though. Pack. Whilst heading back to Washington, Joe Biden said he's worked out a deal with Egypt to open the Rafa crossing with Gaza. On Triple J. Let's check in with what's going on in the Middle East, where the situation is changing every day. We know so many people are still trying to get out of Gaza. The Australian government is now advising people not to travel to Lebanon because of the risk of terrorist attacks anywhere at any time. Look, there are still protests, rallies around the world calling for a ceasefire, including a big one that was at the US Capitol building earlier today. Gaza is still under siege, like Israel's blocking cross-border supplies of water, electricity, fuel... And the US President Joe Biden, you might remember we spoke about this yesterday, he has visited, he's called for aid to be allowed into Gaza from Egypt, the UK Prime Minister's flying in to also call for more aid to be let into Gaza. So is it working? When will food and water get to the people who need it the most? Well, Jason Lee is with Save the Children. He's in charge of what's happening over there and he's with us now. G'day Jason, thanks for coming on Hack. No, thanks for having me online. US President Joe Biden says AIDS is going to start coming into Gaza from Egypt. Do we have any idea about when those trucks are going to start rolling in?
1: Look, all of us are waiting, waiting desperately for the trucks to come in. Um, and no, these are trucks with absolutely life-saving assistance. There's no food left in Gaza. We, we estimate that the stocks will run out in a couple of days. There's very, very low amounts of water left. Um, we're scrounging to find water. There's about at least half a million people that are seeking shelters in the schools just in the south of Gaza. We have no visibility in the north yet. We've not been able to confirm how many people are still in in schools, sheltering in hospitals. So this critical assistance that's waiting outside Rafa and save the children, we have two trucks as well, waiting to bring in much-needed supplies for kids. We're all waiting and hoping that it happens very soon.
0: Right. And there's, there's just no indication about when your trucks, you said you've got a couple there ready to go when they're going to be able to get in.
1: No, nope, not yet. Um, every day we're checking just, I mean, look, the situation is dire. Kids can't wait. We are now in a situation where one child is killed every 15 minutes on average. The longer it takes for the trucks to get in, the longer it takes for the ceasefire, the longer it takes to stop the fighting And these are the airstrikes the shelling that is happening all over the gaza strip even in the south where civilians were told to evacuate to that's still shelling and airstrikes until all of this stops and we get we get the goods in we get humanitarian personnel in to distribute the assistance and to find the kids that need us most the death toll will keep increasing every day
0: Your charity is about trying to help children specifically. Do we know how many children are affected by the current fighting, like
1: how many are in Gaza? Yeah. I mean, Gaza has a population of 2.3 million people. It's one of the most densely populated places on earth. It's 365 square kilometres. Of that 2.3 million people, half of them are kids. Half of them are children. So we're talking about at least 1.1 million children that are being impacted right now throughout Gaza. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Jason
0: Lee from the charity Save the Children, who's in charge of uh, you know operations in in Gaza to deliver humanitarian aid for Save the Children. Jason, what's the situation like in the shelters where these children are staying? Like, do you are you able to speak to your people who are in Gaza about how that's all
1: playing out? Yeah, look, my my teams in Gaza, like the rest of the civilian population. Has had, to, has had to flee their homes. They are living in shelters as well with the hundreds of thousands of other civilians. They're telling me overcrowded, these schools were not built or don't have the capacity to hold that many people. There's no food supplies, there's no food being distributed. The food in the stores are running out. there's just a couple of days of supply left. There's no water in the shelters. They've got no beds, no way to sleep. Everyone's sleeping on the floor. The wash facilities, the bathrooms, there are barely enough bathroom facilities for the amount of people living there. There's no electricity throughout Gaza. There's no fuel, which means that hospitals can't run. The emergency shelters can't have any electricity. The situation is getting worse. And as I said, every day it's getting worse and worse, putting more and more children, their lives are at risk. So, Jason, are you hopeful
0: seeing some of the comments you've seen from the US President Joe Biden? Obviously, the UK Prime Minister is also flying into Israel as well. Have any of those kind of statements about getting more aid into Gaza provided you with a bit of hope that the situation might get better in the next few days? Um, Look,
1: I am hopeful, but this is just the first step. Now, there are rights of of children. Um, And and these rights apply to all children um, all the time, no matter who they are, where they are, or in what circumstances. We don't get to pick and choose which rights we want to defend for which children and where they are and and at what times. Now, the right to be safe and the right to receive assistance is amongst two of those rights, which means that, yeah, it's great that the goods are coming in, But first and foremost, we need to focus on keeping civilians safe. There must be adherence to international law for all sides. Now, these are laws and obligations. This is not when a duty bearer decides, oh yeah, it's convenient for me to to protect the rights or or for which people I want to protect the rights for. No, these are obligations that they have to. And getting the goods in, first step. Bringing the personnel in, this needs to happen but also the ceasefire. There must be a stop in the fighting so that civilians and kids, children, will be safe. Well, look, so many people around
0: the world are calling for that ceasefire. We're seeing that in protests, in rallies, in cities around the globe. We appreciate uh, your take on this. You're obviously in the Middle East. You have an ear to the ground. You know what's going on. Jason Lee from Save the Children, thank you very much for coming on Hack.
2: Thank you. Hack. You need a whistleblower agency to keep the other agencies honest.
0: On Triple J. If you found out about massive corruption at your work, would you do something about it? Like, what if you knew that saying something coming forward might cost you your job? Or worse, you could end up in jail for decades. Because in Australia right now, there are a couple of people who are facing jail time for bringing corruption or criminal behaviour to the public's attention. And it's their own government who's taking them to court. We're talking about whistleblowers. And experts say we're not doing nearly enough to protect them. And it's having a big impact on transparency in this country. Shalala Midori explains. When I told my
2: wife what I was going to have to do, she said to me, you're going to take on the Commonwealth Bank. Are you insane? They will destroy you.
3: Jeff Morris saw firsthand as an employee of Commonwealth Bank how dodgy financial advisors ruined people's lives.
2: And I was seeing vulnerable people, elderly people, having their life savings that they depended on for their retirement being literally vaporised. What I then saw was the bank's management determined to cover it up to lie to these people and to deny them compensation.
3: Jeff spent five years trying to get the bank and the financial regulator ASIC to fix wrongdoing in the banking sector.
2: ASIC didn't get the job done, so I went to the media and they did.
3: And with that, Jeff became a whistleblower. A whistleblower is someone who exposes corruption or criminal activity, sometimes using classified info from within an organisation. In Australia, exposing wrongdoing can come at a huge personal cost.
2: Blowing the whistle means the end of your career. There will be massive retaliation against you. There will be back-channel smear campaigns run against you. Uh, You'll never work in your chosen industry again.
3: And all the financial strain can cost you your personal relationships too.
2: More often than not, whistleblowers lose their family. Uh, The pressure's just too much.
3: All that can impact your mental health.
2: I think just about every whistleblower I've ever spoken to wound up with a diagnosis of PTSD.
3: You're probably asking yourself, why? Shouldn't we be encouraging people to report bad stuff going on in their organisations?
4: I mean, no doubt that one of the reasons organisations and governments go after whistleblowers is to deter other people, to send a really strong signal to other people, shut up, mind your own business, don't speak up, because if you do, we'll come after you.
3: Independent MP Andrew Wilkie says that kind of messaging works.
4: We just don't know what misconduct goes on at the moment because people are too scared to to speak up and and to reveal it.
3: This issue is personal for Mr Wilkie.
4: In 2003, when Australia was preparing to join in the invasion of Iraq, I was working in an intelligence job in Canberra and I resigned and went to the media and, and in essence said the government was being dishonest. In fact, I said the Prime Minister was lying uh, and that the official case for war was fraudulent.
3: Mr Wookie says the situation for whistleblowers has deteriorated in the last 20 years. We've currently got two men being pursued by the government for whistleblowing. Richard Boyle, who exposed wrongful debt recovery tactics in the tax office, could face more than four decades in prison if found guilty and David McBride, an army lawyer who gave the ABC classified information about alleged Australian war crimes in Afghanistan.
4: We've got this bizarre situation where the first person that's going to front a court over alleged war crimes in Afghanistan is the whistleblower.
3: In both cases, the Attorney-General has the power to step in and stop the trials. When asked why that's not happening by the ABC's 7.30 program, a spokesperson for the Attorney-General, Mark Dreyfus said... The power to discontinue proceedings is reserved for very unusual and exceptional circumstances. Jeff Morris is scathing of that.
2: We, we have a current government that talks about whistleblower protection, but does nothing meaningful.
3: Other countries are doing way more to protect whistleblowers. In the United States, there are system, there's an ecosystem of protections. Frances Haugen blew the whistle on Facebook's internal processes back in 2021. Earlier this week, she told the National Press Club how she was treated as a result. I was able to get pro bono lawyers that looked after me. You know, they had worked with other whistleblowers who, because they got threats from the public, they provide them with security protections. They make sure they got therapy. Whistleblowers in the US also get a proportion of the money saved from corruption as a result of them raising the alarm as well as other financial incentives like rental subsidies. I had no idea that that didn't exist almost anywhere else in the world. Andrew Wilkie says there are measures Australia should be taking to bring us in line with other countries because he says what we're doing now
4: isn't working. The two laws that have whistleblower protections, they are both
0: woefully inadequate.
4: Hack on Triple J
0: shalala medora with that update well let's find out a bit more about what the situation is with whistleblowers in this country i've got someone with us now who knows a lot about it kieran pender is a big advocate for stronger whistleblower protections he's with the human rights law center g'day kieran thanks for coming on hack thanks for having me on in your opinion how serious is the situation for whistleblowers in australia right now
5: Right now, Australian whistleblowers are suffering. We've got high-profile examples of two whistleblowers facing trial, facing the potential of jail time for telling the truth about government wrongdoing. That's a real threat to democracy and transparency, really unjust. But that's also just the tip of the iceberg. We know from research that the majority of whistleblowers who speak up in their workplace suffer some form of retaliation. They lose their job. They sort of get bullied or otherwise mistreated at work. We've had recent cases of whistleblowers being sued by their employers or for doing the right thing. Whistleblowers make Australia a better place by exposing wrongdoing and ensuring accountability. So the current situation faced by whistleblowers in Australia should be of concern to everyone.
0: There is this kind of debate that goes on about the right for the public to know, but also national security as well and revealing secrets. What do you make of that argument that you know the government will often put forward?
5: Peter Grester, the esteemed journalist, put it very Well, at the press club and he gave an address earlier this week when he said that national security, secrecy and transparency and whistleblowing are are not sort of a, a binary. They're actually mutually reinforcing. Transparency, accountability, people speaking up about wrongdoing enhances, not undermines our national security and the integrity of our government. If we have things going wrong, if we have, for example, in relation to the case of war crimes whistleblower David McBride, he helped expose to the ABC... Horrendous conduct allegedly committed by Australian forces in Afghanistan. There's no national security interest in covering that up. And in fact, the opposite. We all benefit from awareness, transparency, and then accountability and justice in relation to whether it's war crimes in Afghanistan, whether it's the the Banking Royal Commission that followed on from Jeff Morris and others, very courageous whistleblowing. We've seen in recent years revelations around misogyny and and, uh, really horrendous misconduct in different workplaces, particularly um, institutions. We've seen uh, concerns about climate inaction, environmental degradation. When brave people speak up, we all benefit. And that's why we should be really worried that the mistreatment of whistleblowers is keeping people silent. And we don't know what's going on. We don't know about wrongdoing that's staying hidden because people aren't speaking up. So what exactly are you calling for? What needs to change, in your
0: opinion, in this country to better protect whistleblowers?
5: These two prosecutions are the first step. There are two people in Australia right now that can stop prosecuting whistleblowers, end the war on whistleblowers. They're the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions and the Attorney-General, Mark Dreyfus, KC. One of them need to act because otherwise, in four weeks' time, a whistleblower is going on trial Imagine if if Dave McBride goes to jail, imagine the message that will send about what Australia thinks about democracy and transparency and accountability, that will send a really chilling message to prospective whistleblowers that if you speak up, you'll be punished. Do we want to live in a country that sends truth tellers to jail for telling the truth about government wrongdoing? That's the first step. Then the government is committed to law reform in this area. That can't come soon enough. We need comprehensive reform to these protections so they actually work. And then critically, we really need an independent statutory body to oversee and enforce these laws to provide the practical support that whistleblowers need. We don't have anything of that nature in Australia, unlike a number of other countries that do have these whistleblower protection authorities. There was calls for such a body to be included within the National Anti-Corruption Commission. Labor, at the 2019 election, proposed setting up a whistleblowing authority None of that has yet happened. So we need the prosecutions of whistleblowers to end, we need to fix the law, and then we need to set up the institutions that can support and empower whistleblowers. So why do you
0: think things are moving so slowly? If Labor, for instance, the government has previously committed to action in this area, but I guess you're saying it's moving
5: way too slowly, what's behind that? The Labor government, since taking power, has done a lot of really important things for transparency in Australia. They've established the National Anti-Corruption Commission. They've held a a roundtable on press freedom. They're currently reviewing uh, secrecy laws, surveillance laws, and and they introduced a first, very initial phase of whistleblowing reform. That's all great. They also dropped the prosecution of whistleblower Bernard Kaliri. So the, the Labor government has done some really important things, but it has to do more. And these particular two cases ongoing right now... I think they're the canary in the coal mine for transparency in Australia. If if Labor doesn't act, that will be really problematic. Why they're not acting, of course, you'd have to ask the the Attorney-General that question, I can't speak for him. um, But I think we're seeing a groundswell of support. We've seen polling that shows that Australians really care about whistleblowers. They recognise the good they do. They don't want whistleblowers being prosecuted. It's up to the government to heed that call. Got a lot of messages coming through on this
0: one on the text lines. A few people saying, what about Julian Assange? Why isn't he free? He's a whistleblower. Someone else says, we as Australians are ignorant to think that there's no corruption in our politics. Why are whistleblowers being sentenced to jail. It's horrendous. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking to Kieran Pender from the Human Rights Law Centre about whistleblowing protections in Australia. It's something you're going to be hearing a lot more about in the weeks ahead as we get closer to a trial of a whistleblower. Kieran, do you think that there are people out there now with really important information who aren't coming forward because they don't feel protected? I mean, you speak to a lot of people in this area.
5: Uh, What are you hearing? There are, and I know that because they speak to me. Because I'm a lawyer, I act for whistleblowers, people come to me and they say they're afraid to speak up because of the prosecutions, because of what they see, because of the mistreatment, because of the lack of robust laws. We try and help. We try and help them blow the whistle in a way that is safe and lawful and ultimately effective, and the whistleblowing leads to the the, the wrongdoing being addressed. But we in Australia will have more transparency, more accountability, and ultimately more justice... If we protect and empower the truth-tellers, and that is really good for all of us. We don't want to live in a society where wrongdoing goes unchecked. It's, It's not good for our human rights. It's not good for our economy. It's not good for our environment. It's not good for our society. When people get away with breaking the law, with committing corrupt acts, with mistreating people... It's in all of our interests. Australia once led the world in protecting whistleblowers. Queensland in the early 1990s enacted whistleblowing law and at the time it was only the second place globally outside the United States to be protecting whistleblowers with explicit legal protections. Unfortunately, we've fallen behind, particularly in the past decade under the the Morrison government and coalition governments before that. We saw the raids on the ABC and uh, News Corp. We saw these prosecutions of whistleblowers. We saw a failure to enact important whistleblower protections. Other places around the world have been uh, putting whistleblower protections from the law into action. So they're actually working. Europe particularly has done a lot of work in this space in recent years because they've recognised the importance of, of whistleblowing. So it's really up to Australia to catch up. And again, lead the world. And, and that potential is there. And what would you say to people who are listening now who've
0: never really thought too much about this? Uh, they're probably not going to be whistleblowers in their life. The vast majority of people won't be whistleblowers. Why should they care about this issue and, and be trying to bring it to the politicians' attention?
5: I, I'd say two things. The, the first is that since we're children, we're told to tell the truth. That's all whistleblowers do. They tell the truth, sometimes an inconvenient truth, about wrongdoing. You know, when we're kids and we lie, we get in trouble. We're told the right thing to do is always to tell the truth. And whistleblowers do that even at great cost. And we're all better for it. I think the second point is that any of us could become a whistleblower tomorrow. What if you go into work and you see something wrong and you speak up? What if you speak up and nothing happens? Your boss ignores it, doesn't deal with it. Do you go to a regulator as a last resort? Do you go to the media? Do you go to a member of parliament? What if lives are at risk? What if the environment's at risk? What if government money is being wasted? It's in all of our interests to protect whistleblowers. It's really critical, the government acts now.
0: Well, look, we really appreciate your take on all this. Kieran Pender from the Human Rights Law Centre, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. A pleasure. Some more messages coming through on the text line. Someone says it's just the government's way of saying snitches get stitches. That's someone's thoughts there. Another person, Tasman, says my mate's mum was a whistleblower and she really struggled afterwards. I appreciated what she did. I do think we need better laws to protect them. All right, time to move on. Hack.
6: I don't think it ever has been an industry that you get into if you're in it for the money, and that's, like, one of the first things I felt like I learned.
0: On Triple J. Yeah, nobody ever said being a musician would be easy, right? And to be honest, I don't think many people go into the music industry thinking that. We know it can be stressful financially, mentally, but just how hard is it for local artists in Australia at the moment? After COVID, after everything we've seen over the last few years, we've done a bit of a check-in. You might remember the big What's Up In Your World survey that we do at Triple J where we ask you about the stuff that matters to you, how you're living your life. Well, Triple J Unearthed has done a What's Up In Australian music survey and they've surveyed almost 1,300 artists in Australia about what it's like out there right now. The results are pretty full on. And if you're a musician, I am keen to hear what you think about them. Here's Angel Parsons looking into it.
7: I'm hoping that when people better understand our concerns and maybe empathise with the things that we go through, they'll be able to see, you know, small changes that they can make in their day-to-day lives that um, will allow people to, you know, eat off the things that, that they put their lives into.
8: That's one of the aims of Triple J's What's Up in Australian Music survey. We've asked nearly 1,300 local bands, artists and music makers about what it's like to be in the industry right now. Jerry Agbinya from Triple J Unearthed and also an artist himself helped crunch the numbers.
7: There was a lot of things that stuck out to me, but not a lot of things that surprised me.
8: So let's get into it and starting off with a big one, nearly half, 48% of all musicians we spoke to thought about leaving the industry in the last few years. Some of the most common reasons why were financial pressures, time constraints, mental health and burnout, a lack of opportunities and a lack of support. Singer-songwriter George Alice can really see why a lot of musos feel like this.
6: You know, my biggest fear is is coming across as as ungrateful, or you know, I'm very aware of what I have, but also, the emotional and physical tolls that come with doing this as a job, uh, yeah, make you want to throw in the towel. And I think that, you know, it's not something that I talk about often, but I think that I personally lately have felt like throwing in the towel probably every couple of weeks, and I feel like um. Yeah, that it's just maybe not sustainable, definitely not for your mental health. Another big thing the survey found is a whopping
8: 83% of musicians who earn money from their music also
6: work outside of the industry too. I feel like as an artist you're always doing something to, to make ends meet and it's usually not music related. And of those people who have another job
8: or side hustle, nearly 80% earn more from their non-music job. I spoke with Will from Melbourne band Big Words about this.
9: Right now we're, we're in Sydney, we've all taken the week off and, and we're together in a house, we've got a set up, we're writing songs, we're recording, we're cooking food, like this this is what it could be. This is amazing. And obviously the dream would be to be able to do this, you know, whenever we want. Um, But yeah, we both work jobs. I work at a wine bar and works in a cafe. We've always done that. Um, And it's fine. Like Rick Rubin says, you know, if, if you have to do that to support, your goal of of being an artist, then that's fine.
8: He said it's a super tough gig that obviously has its ups and downs, but it's sheer commitment and passion that keeps so many going.
9: It's just about having fun. And when you try and do this for a living, it really quickly can become not fun and it rips all of that out of it. And you're chasing money and you're chasing numbers and you're chasing streams and we all do it. It's, It's natural to want to be better and to have more. But being in a house in Sydney, that we can barely afford, making songs, is some of the most fun we'll ever have.
6: Then we jumped into the side hustle that I guess would be social media, and that in itself is a side hustle, and... So by the time that you're done counting up all the side hustles that you have as an artist, you really don't have time to do the artist thing.
8: And social media is a super important point to touch on. Instagram is king, with 69% of artists telling us it was the most important platform to get their work out there. And just on this, Jerry from Unearthed had a super interesting takeaway.
7: One of the respondents said that labels are more likely to sign someone who is good at social media and assign people to help them with their music versus Someone who is good at music and assign people to help them with social media, which is very concerning to me.
8: Another big part of the survey was looking at different income revenues within the industry.
9: Every single incoming and outgoing expense Cry Club has ever had, I have in spreadsheets.
8: Here's Jono from pop punk duo Cry Club.
9: Our last financial year, it looks like two thirds of our income was performance. The rest of it is mostly merch. And then the next biggest number is our personal investment from our own personal accounts the amount of money made on royalties at that particular point in time. I can do the maths, but it's going to be a small number.
8: What Jono's saying about live gigs being the biggest earner was pretty consistent across the board. For a huge portion of respondents, live music made up 58% of income, streaming royalties made up about 15% and merchandise 8%. We also asked what could be done to support artists even more? commercial radio, streaming services and us here at Triple J we are told there's lots more that can be done.
7: Seeing these figures, seeing how artists that are, I guess, propelling this industry are feeling, it should let everybody know that there is so much more that we can do, there are so much more policies that we can put in place.
6: Actions speak louder than words and I think that, you know, having these conversations are a great first step, but then it's kind of what comes afterwards and, yeah, change needs to happen and the conversations need to be bigger. Hack
0: on Triple J. Yeah, interesting stuff there. Angel Parsons with that update. And we're hearing from you on the text line, also on Instagram as well. You can find out uh, more. You can share some of these results on Instagram. We've got them all there, Triple J Unearthed. Go check it out. Some of the comments that we're seeing from people, someone says, we've got the smallest market here and the support for the Australian talent has been trending down since 2016, in my opinion. There are songs that are still in the charts that were released more than 10 years ago. Artists need to be thinking beyond this country. That's someone's point of view. Another person says big stations need to play more diverse styles of music on primetime radio, like world, reggae, dub, Afrobeat. Another person, I want to be in a parallel universe where Australia loves indie artists like it loves four-wheel drives. That place would pop off, says someone on Instagram. Another person says so many great acts, so much great music and not enough people who want to listen. It really hits home. This is a music industry problem. You're going to be, yeah, finding out a bit more about that, you know, over the next little while as we keep going through those results. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.